You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the centennial edition of Sharing Socks, our broadcast number 100. I am Southside Sock Duty Geezer Lee Allen, <laughs> with me my son, and for the last time for a while, West Coast correspondent Will, who will be in Chicago for the next few months, uh, performing in the Cherry Orchard at the Goodman Theater. And with us, for this big uh, celebration of our 100th show, the boss, Brett Valentini, <laughs> on, uh, to uh, partake and uh, try to improve the level of actual knowledge on the show. We figured this was a great opportunity to get fired in front of our audience. This is just, <laughs> we wanted to bring on Brett to just end it painfully in front of everybody. We're gluttons for punishment because we're White Sox fans. Um, thrilled to have you here though, Brett. Welcome, welcome. Ratings are flagging this off season. So yes, this is our big <laughs> blockbuster must see event. Sharing socks. No more. Believe it or not. No, I did want to just jump in, uh, and try to be theatric, uh, theatrical in front of the, uh, theater folks just to throw down some stats about sharing socks. It is a hundredth episode. Last episode 99 was the 350th. We've done as a whole, like Southside Sox group. Wow. Uh, so your milestones are just falling left and right. Really, none of the other podcasts. We've had 15 other podcasts sort of under the umbrella of Southside Sox. None really, aside from maybe the farm podcast we do, which really sort of still official Southside Sox business, have even gotten past like the mid-20s. So the fact uh-huh. that you guys have done what you've done, a quality product, now a hundred <laughs> times... Uh, you know, it, it does take some wherewithal. I mean, okay, 
all right, it's father and son. I mean, what, you're not going to hide from each other, I suppose. Although I mean, it's <laughs> happened before, uh, but I mean, you know, uh, uh, so you have consistent casting, you know, this, you know, this all works out uh, uh, pretty well. Uh, you've had the most guests. I mean, really outside, maybe not even outside of, but at least outside of the mothership podcast, you certainly had the, the biggest uh, round round of people coming in, even though it's been mostly just uh, you two for a while. And I did look up, I'm not sure if Lee wrote this or not. The first, the first podcast, September 9th, 2020, in the excitement of that 2020 wow. season. Fathers and sons don't always agree on things, but when the father indoctrinates the son from birth, White Sox fandom <laughs> becomes an area of definite agreement or else. <laughs> Lee and Will Allen, Lee and Will Allen present a cross-generational look at baseball in the White Sox past and present. They even have similar assessments. Well, mostly that was the copy that kicked off the first podcast. And then you guys wow. launched right into, I threw out that weird assignment where it's like, Hey guys, you're not doing anything. Just do a pregame podcast for all the playoff games. Mercifully, the White Sox bowed out quickly, but you guys <laughs> did that and, and even brought in a bunch of guests for that right off the bat. So really from the start, it's been a unique podcast for us and I appreciate you guys doing it. That consistency along with, you know, allows us to sort of say we have like, a family of podcasts where we have actually people beyond just me forcing people to do it, uh, doing these podcasts and it makes for a lot of fun. And I know, you know, I think there are people who are bigger fans of the sharing sock show than anything else we put out uh, on there. Uh, I don't know if they're all just fathers and sons, you know, listening together or something, but uh, definitely uh, it's been a popular podcast. And I appreciate you guys for just having the wherewithal to keep doing it. Cause it's been a lot of fun to see, you know, <laughs> I don't know if evolve is the right word, given how the white sex have gone since you started. Maybe it's your fault. <laughs> hey, we're Way still to go, guys. The, yeah, the, podcast the, the interesting is thing in. is I made him a white sex fan and he still talks to me. Uh, that, yeah. That's that's getting, it's getting dicier by the day. Yeah, it's normally point, a generational thing. But on that point, if anyone out there is listening, I'm being held hostage to do this podcast. <laughs> Please call your yep. local authorities. Hey, what, oh, thanks, here, here, Brett. here's a question I have. Um, you know, not that we're going to just make this family hour per se, but, um, my dad became a White Sox fan because of Chico Carrasquel. So I can trace my White Sox fandom to Chico, even though, of course, he was long away from baseball by the time I ever came around to watch around Southside Hitman time. Is there a similar connection in terms of the, uh, the forcing or the encouraging that Lee did to, uh, you will in terms of a, a player or a season? Actually, actually do I I mean he was he was pretty much just like we're a White Sox family. My my cutest baby picture is of me fully in a Cubs uniform, so I think that's what set me down the other path. That's his uh, that's his mother's brother's fault. Saw that picture and I thought, that's not me. That's not who I'm gonna be in this world. So I that's what did it. But honestly for me, and that's a really good question, I am a very small guy. Uh, I am a second baseman by trade. Craig Biggio was, you know, a, a huge hero of mine. So I grew up kind of on the Astros side of things as well, but way more White Sox because of Ray Durham. Ray Durham. Oh, one of my favorites um, as well. He was my guy, little second baseman, hustled harder than anybody on the field, played with some attitude, but was, you know, not a bad guy, like definitely fundamental baseball player. I probably remember him even more fondly than he played. Uh, but, but I definitely, Ray, Ray Durham was an easy sell for me as a kid growing up, uh, as a White Sox fan. Do you, 
Did you use any special negotiation tactics, Dad, when you were uh, making me? <laughs> no, it was just you were smaller than I was, so it, it, it <laughs> that always I actually works. I didn't become a White Sox fan until I moved to Chicago. I got out of the Navy in 1971, moved to Chicago, uh, and 71. If you know your White Sox history, was out the bottom, and they had they had lost. Their fifty thousand watt radio station. They're on this tiny little station in, in Evanston, and a, and a group of dozens of other stations across the Midwest and into Pennsylvania, where Chuck Tanner was from. And um, in nineteen seventy two, I went to work for the head station of the White Sox network, and that was really what got me into it. And seventy two was the oh. Chuck Tanner year, and uh, Dick Allen. Who is still, I would say, the best hitter I have ever seen. Just unbelievable. And I also was a was a middle infielder, so it's not natural that a first baseman would be my my go to. Yeah. The other one, the other one, and I'm and I'm at least until lately a fairly thin person. Wilbur Wood was my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I gotta say, Dad. The first thing I gotta do is just compliment you. Being a being a White Sox fan from from the start, making it through World War One, making it through World <laughs> War Two, you you saw some really down years on this team. Like we think it's bad now, but you saw some really bad White Sox teams. Uh, you know, in the twenties, I saw some really bad White Sox teams after I became. <laughs> yeah, they were really good up yeah. until about I did. I mean, through the fifties and sixties, they were very very good. I think uh, what sealed it for me, though, uh, you know, you did indoctrinate me, of course. I'm thrilled that that's pretty much the only thing you indoctrinated me about. Um, So I came out I came out easy. But I do remember as a kid at the old Comiskey before it was gone, we went to a game and I got to run the bases and you guys sprung the the 10 bucks for the I ran the bases at Comiskey Park shirt with the little cartoon (laughs) guy running the bases. And I think that's what sealed it for me forever. I, I just remember being a little kid, and I do remember they made you start at first base and not home, which I was not thrilled about. I wanted the full home run trot, but that's okay. And then I remember getting out there, and because I'm a little kid, running as hard as I possibly could, ending the greatest moment of my life as quickly as possible, uh, because I just wanted to fly out there. I'm sure it looked like I had a piano on my back, but I, I was I was flying around those bases, and I think that's that's what sealed it for me. I've I've been on some of the major league fields since then, but I haven't gotten to run the bases since then, and uh, that that did the deal. Seeing Ray Durham and Frank Thomas in person, and then getting to run on the field that they were playing on, that was as I mean, if you're talking '90s baseball, kid, how does it get better? It it doesn't. You know, you know, we, we should admit, Brett, there was one time, mm-hmm. and this, this is going to bring us up to the present day, unfortunately, but there was a time, the late 90s, when we actually considered dumping the White Sox. Not because what happened, I mean, they weren't a good, good team. They were an adequate team, but not a good team all through here. It was when they signed Albert Bell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because at that time, I don't know if you'll recall, but Frank Thomas was going through his really whiny period. Yep. So you had Big Frank whining like crazy, 
and they bring in Albert Bell, the biggest jerk in baseball at the time. And our opinion was, look, it's one thing to root for a team that's not much good, but one that's also a bunch of jerks. Let's find another team. And we scouted. It wasn't really online to do at the time, but we we did whatever we could as far as gathering information on other teams and thinking about what, what city would we like. We actually lived at the time in uh, Kentucky, uh, where Will was born. And we were in Reds territory, but we just couldn't become Reds fans. We liked and, them. We liked them. That was a good yeah, Reds team. Barry we Larkin. Were Anti-Reds, you know. but they still had that lingering, you know, big red machine. And mm-hmm. they just go over to that. Yeah. And Riverfront, Riverfront Stadium like, was go to watch ball games. Yeah, it was. And there happened to be an expansion team called the Tampa Bay Rays. We thought, we're better to go than Tampa. <laughs> Which you you live around Tampa, right? Yep, that's my closest uh, ballpark. Yep. All right, so wow. we we went down. We we got airplane tickets. We got a hotel and went for a weekend of four games of the Rays hosting the Yankees. Which incidentally wow. is where we learned, and of course it was almost all Yankees fans because the Yankees had yeah. had uh, been doing spring training there forever. Mm-hmm. And they were incredibly obnoxious, just unbelievably obnoxious human beings, which they could be because the Yankees being four straight times. So we thought maybe an expansion team is what yeah. we're looking for. Let, let's give the Sox another year. It turns out going over to the race wouldn't have been bad in the long term. But, yeah. That race team series, you would have got a couple of That race team was actually pretty interesting too, with with Wade Boggs and Fred McGriff. And uh I remember at the time I was trying to I believe to the second baseman fan. was Miguel Cairo. Miguel Cairo was at second base. Quentin McCracken was the star outfielder who kind of didn't really come to be, but was fairly exciting for a while there. Um but yeah, of all the six thousand fans that were at that those games, <laughs> five thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight were Yankees fans. Yep. And then my dad and I were in our you know, my newly purchased Devil Rays at the time, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I probably could have gone that route if they had kept the Devil Rays, because that was a cool name. Uh, but once they switched to just Rays, I, I was out on them for good. That fan ratio still exists uh, today. And uh, Ozzy's last stop was with the Rays. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, okay, just continuing the housekeeping, uh, Albert Bell signed also as a middle finger to baseball because Jerry was upset that they actually stopped the lockout, you remember. So he's like, okay, I'll show you guys. And then finally, I'm going to say, Will, I'm a little older than you. Here's how we used to have to run the bases before Reinsdorf and Einhorn came around and things got just a little bit more sanitized at Comiskey Park. It's wait around, somehow linger, somehow not get kicked out by the antifrane after a game. Then with nobody there, run onto the field where there are no bases, just the spikes and run <laughs> the bases. That's my baseball at Comiskey Park running the bases experience. I mean, that's slide into pretty home. cool. Yeah, oh, and then yeah, by the time, uh, yeah, by the time the Annie Frayne, uh, you know, noticed, yeah, we'd already crossed the bases and, you know, somebody like picked a piece of grass and they said they were going to grow it back, you know, at home, you know, <laughs> and like grow Comiskey Park turf. And, you know, then we got 
uh, shuttled out of there. But uh, yeah, that was my running the bases. You got to slide though. You got to walk out of there with the dirt all over the front of your shirt. You must have felt so cool. It was like a it was like a packed game where I went with my 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 friend and his dad, and it was like it was like coat day or something. So like a billion people showed up. We had I guess we had I guess we had general mission because we couldn't get any seats together. So we watched that game. Uh, we watched Ralph Gar that game in the picnic area in the outfield, just watched through the fence all game because we couldn't, wow. couldn't sit anywhere. So we were sort of owed that running this, that sneaking into yes. the dugout to look at the tobacco and then running the bases because, you know, yeah. listen, we, just, we did not get our $3 money worth for that game. <laughs> Albert Bell, I, I, I think the Albert Bell takes us to present day because jerks comes to mind for some reason. Uh, today uh, hold on before maybe we, we even get, get into that before we even get into this i just want to reflect on something about this podcast as, as we're wrapping up i did my digging and i could find at least seven occasions in which i said dylan cease was going to become the best pitcher on the chicago white Sox, and you said i was out of my mind <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> at least seven i actually think it happened in like the first 30 episodes with me <laughs> saying i did. just i got a feeling about this guy i got a feeling about this guy and you saying no get rid of him he's the worst and me saying i think if we just hold on i think we got him and i know dylan you're still listening to every episode which is really mm-hmm. cool of you by mm-hmm. the way uh I, that is my my one i think hot take that I stuck with on this podcast that actually paid off. I think most of my hot takes have been just that. They've been scorching to the point where no <laughs> one could hold them long enough for them to come to fruition. Uh, but but before we got into our actual baseball talk today, I did need to gloat well, about being yeah. an absolute genius. I, 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 I don't believe that in your gloating, though, you pointed out that what's going to happen is he's going to get his head straightened out. Mm. So that when one little tiny thing goes wrong, bad, he doesn't fall completely apart. Wrong. Which is what happened wrong. last year, and that's terrific. Nope. There are actual <laughs> instances of me saying that's exactly what he needs to fix. You are so wrong. On no, multiple no, occasions, I was like, you can see the anxiety in him. And once he gets his head wrapped around that, he's going to be great. And what happened? But, and I you, don't know. You did talk. I will confess. Much memory of you pointing out it's the way you can see the way his uh, left toe points when he yeah. is in his. I mean that was that was mechanic it. stuff, and he fixed that. And boy, did he fix but it! That but... was mentally, but that was mentally too, because it would happen if you got a bad call or yeah, a, a single dropped in that somebody should have caught, which God knows happens with the White Sox all the time. Uh, that he would get so upset that all of a sudden his left toe was was, was going off at an angle and. Uh, yeah, he threw everything higher outside after that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, guys, okay. before before baseball, let me take the podcast over once more. I'm going to do this like twenty more times. You know what? I've never <laughs> been a guest on any of these podcasts. This is the first time anyone's ever asked me in 350 podcasts <laughs> to be on a podcast. So thank you. I'm really flattered. You sort of had to. Oh but man, really we flattered. blew it. We made That's a mistake. Very nice. Yeah, thanks for breaking the streak there. But I think it's worth saying. Not that not that listeners or viewers and readers don't know. But both of these guys, as much fun as they have on the podcast, and as funny as they are, Will in particular has written a number of, I mean, I would say his big, the percentage of what he's written for the site is almost always funny and entertaining in that way, whereas Lee mixes it up, including 
uh, what is on, um, you know, the site most recently from one of you two. And I imagine we'll get into that a little bit because that's much more of a harder, grittier, sadder piece. But both of these guys aren't just our entertaining podcast and, and the, the, you know, the cute novelty of father son. Uh, there's funny stuff, but also some of that analysis as I'm listening, I think, well, wait, I'm just here to be entertained. I want to laugh and I want to agree with a take or, or grumble with Lee because I don't agree or, or with Will. Uh, but actually, you know, Will in particular, that's one that's great that's been brought out. Uh, the analysis here from both of you is, is um, you know, from your breadth of fan uh, of fandom and actually playing and observing. Um, Will in particular, a lot of stuff has jumped out at me in terms hey. of options. And maybe hey, sometimes those, those hot takes can be really uh, hot and flat. <laughs> but no, in, in, in terms of both of you guys, uh, that's something I don't, I want to say it's unexpected, but given that, you know, we come out first sort of with, you know, the, the entertaining aspect of it and what you've both brought to the site in terms of the humor, you might think, okay, well, that's all we're going to get. And that isn't the case with this podcast or with your writing. And I appreciate that as well. Uh, just needs to be said, I'll try not to host any longer. Yeah, I mean, no, very, very kind of you. But let's get away from it. Entertainment. You bring up a really good point, side. though. You bring up a really good point, though, Brett. That a lot of the stuff I've written for the site is very. It seems funny, but it's really actually quite analytical. My my piece about the biggest beefcakes on the White beefcakes. Sox, <laughs> uh certainly really struck a chord with some people. It got got the message boards going. Uh, I was apparently off on the beefcakiness of some of these guys. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Lance Lynn's a lot more beefcakey than I thought people were going to think. And uh, sure enough, he, he became prime beefcake that year. Mm. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's talk some, let's, you know, we're here. Let's talk some baseball. All right. You know, this should be an occasion other than the hundredth and our, and our goofing around nostalgia and whatnot. This should be an occasion of great celebration that we just pitchers and catchers have reported the rest of the teams do in by Monday. It's, it's back again. Baseball's back. Wow. And having invented the phrase elephant in the room, which everybody in journalism used in the last two days, there's an elephant in the room. Olivia Feinstead uh, today is supposed to meet again. That's that's the accuser in, in the Mike Clevenger case, meet again with uh, Major League Baseball, uh, the investigators, which she said she's done seven times. Uh, did either of you happen to listen to her interview on the score? They put it online. I know you're not. Chicago, but they put it online. It's a 20-some minute interview that they did. And she did not come across as a crazy person. She didn't come across as a mean person. She came across as a young lady who was very, very nervous to be on the radio talking about this, which is perfectly natural. Uh, and she spoke highly of a set of Major League Baseball's investigators, but she said she knows they're not the ones who make a decision. Uh, she had nothing to say bad about the Padres or the White Sox. All she was asking really was that Clevenger have to go through treatment, especially drug treatment. She said he's almost constantly on acid or mushrooms, which are apparently extremely hard to detect. Uh, that he have to go through other you know, anger management, et cetera, that his visitation, he not be allowed visitation without somebody else there. She wanted her mother present. Uh, when he visited with, with their uh, infant daughter, uh, and that she get her stuff back, which is not unique to her. The other woman who has two of his children, it was locked out of the house with the children and couldn't get her stuff too. So everything, and, and I listened to the, the guys on the score, the, the two who were interviewing her later, and they're going, you know, this is pretty credible. 
Now, we don't know if she's telling the truth or not. We don't, we don't know if she lies. We know that Mike Clevenger is a liar. We know he's an incredibly dishonest human being. We know that from previous incidents with him. We know that with dealings with Trevor Bauer, and we, of course, know it for the COVID stuff with uh, Cleveland. Uh, and we know he's poisoned it in the clubhouse because uh, we, we talked about this on an earlier episode. If he was a guy that his teammates liked, they would not have said he goes or we go in, in 2020 after he pulled his stunt of breaking COVID rules and then lying about it, being on the plane with two people with cancer, his, his manager and a player. Uh, they had to hate him before that. And yet the White Sox somehow miss all of this. I, it is so incredible that Rick Hahn is employed, uh, but he misses all of, all of this and signs it. There was so much on Clevenger forgetting that before Olivia Feinstein went public, which wasn't until January uh, on, on Instagram. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable that they signed this guy. Somebody said one of the players, I mean, the players are saying things like, well, he stood up and he talked to us and that was, that was a good thing for him to do. That's fine. They have to say that. Yeah. Somebody gave him a big welcoming hug. I'd like to know who the hell that was. <laughs> um, I got to guess, but uh, I'm not going to guess <laughs> out loud. Um, but I mean, this is what's there. And instead of poor Pedro Grafal. Here you get, you become a manager after many, many years of wanting to be a manager. And here's your day and you're out there with your new team and, and you're saying all the right things about we got to work harder and we got to get our defense. And, and you're just, you're, you're paragraph 43. Uh, it's sad. Well, I mean, it, I mean the, the issue for, for the White Sox right now and, and why I agree, I, I feel bad for obviously Olivia first and foremost, but also for, for guys like Rafal who came in wanting to change this culture and really seemed like they were going to. I mean, I, I've said on this podcast before, I was extremely impressed with Grafal's sort of onboarding and the way he was communicating with these young guys who had kind of been, kind of, it seemed like fallen out of love with baseball under La Russa. <laughs> Um, a, a bunch of guys who were some of the most fun guys in all of baseball to watch in 2020. We slowly saw, you know, a, as we mentioned, body language picking up on, we slowly saw that body language shift to, I don't really want to be here. And Grafal comes in. It seems like we are absolutely going to change that. And, you know, to, to, we can't write off that that's not happening with these guys still, but to have this, this huge distraction. And something that really the White Sox can do nothing about uh, until we find out from MLB, which we know moves violently slow on these issues, just absurdly offensively slow. Um, I I don't know. I, I feel like we're going to be stuck with him for quite some time. And this distraction's going to go, it's at least going to go on through spring training, I think, and, and maybe into the season. I, I don't know what to expect from this whole situation. But yeah, this is a lot of noise for a jerk who is going to give us a five ERA if we were lucky. Uh, I just, this signing perplexed me from day one. When they announced it as being a a seven or $8 million signing, I was confused. And then all of a sudden it was a $12 million signing. I was even more confused. Uh, This was just a classic White Sox mess up. All teams have jerks. 
all teams have jerks. That is just how sports work. You can't expect to have 26 guys in the dugout and they're all just great guys. These are, these are egotistical people and have been raised to be so. But this is a guy that we knew so much about. And also we knew probably wasn't going to make that big of a contribution to this team. So this signing is so a sign of, of Han being kind of out of touch with the game. I mean, he looks great in his puffer vests and his all bird shoes when he does his press conferences. He's living well. Uh, but I, I just don't think this guy, I don't think Han's heart is in it with this team at all either. He, he just seems completely disinterested in the game of baseball. And, you know, that trickle down effect from the top down, I mean, I, I think it will cause some problems for this team and for Pedro Grafal, who deserves better as well. It's sort of a given, uh, and I'll speak for, you know, all three of us here and just saying first off, of course, we are getting into the minutia of something that involves a roster. And of course, uh, as Will alluded, uh, you know, in the big scheme of things, you know, the victim here is is a, a woman and her child. And of course, it seems like several uh, uh, women, or well, we know for a fact, at least one other. So, I mean, uh, you know, we're discussing the, 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 the small details of this in a greater context where, of course, you know, we, we as White Sox fans, you know, are, are by no means uh, victims here. That said, and that established, and that being a given, if you're listening to this, I hope you, you do know that, you know, breaking down into the details, the thing that really jumped out at me, and you guys have already touched on, on stuff I would have said, is the deflection, which of course we expect from uh, Rick Hahn, deflection to the point of he's now started to get, uh, uh, post Larusa, although he did have his Reggie's moment, post Larusa hiring, he's he's seemingly gotten angrier and being more willing to fan shame and point fingers and and really maybe almost do anything desperately to hold on to his job. And we saw that in the uh, opening pitchers and catchers press conferencing. And I think something among many things that really, really struck hollow, and I wouldn't expect anything else from, from Rick Hahn, is this deflection of... We can't do a thing. We couldn't possibly know, which is just so bald faced to lie. I understand as a lawyer, you say that because you got, you got coverage. Who can really say, well, of course, MLB can't share details. Please, first of all, as you guys have both very eloquently expressed all of this, anybody can roll out of bed and know this is not a guy to sign, whether off the field or on the field. You got both. And and you really have to wonder what's going on here, besides the fact that the White Sox have zero pitching depth, so you got to get somebody. They jumped the market to get the guy, paid him, I guess what turned out to be about market rate, given the fact we saw some some pretty big, big, you know, numbers. Right. The, the, the money is less offensive than the whole Adam Eaton jump the market and get this biggest jerk out there on your team. Get him in the fold and in the clubhouse. But this notion of how could we possibly know? I understand why he lied to me is just so offensive. And I mean, the guy, every time he speaks in front of microphones at this point is writing his resignation letter or his, or his uh, firing email. Uh, and yet it doesn't happen. And we know it's not going to. Well, And, and he says, well, if I, if I thought I was part of the problem at all, I'd, I'd fire myself or I'd, I'd resign. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you hear a lot. You hear a lot. His self-scouting is as bad as his actual scouting is, as it turns <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, you hear that kind of uh, claim a lot in Washington, D.C., and you, you hate to hear it in, in Major League Baseball. You hate to hear a guy who says, if I thought I was part of the problem, I'd leave. Well, buddy, I know it's tough to assess ourselves, but come on, man. 
And let me launch this out he here too seven because figure income. He lives in the town. He, he yeah. was born and grew up in. His kids go to a school. Is like apparently his wife likes it here. He's unemployable by the un just would not have another job at Major League Baseball except unless it was a step down as an assistant or something. Absolutely. He's a Harvard educated lawyer. He's not going to be unemployed, but uh, you know he's got it made, and so he just. Uh, First of all, affixes his lips firmly to Jerry Reinsdorf's posterior <laughs> uh, and uh, just goes along for the ride at this point. I One think, though, you do need to apologize, that for making all the listeners picture Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, <laughs> rear at this moment. Because I know as soon as you said that, I was like, I wonder, ooh, that's not <laughs> ideal. <laughs> One thing that's being debated somewhat on site and around, you know, Twitter and baseball among fans. I mean, again, I would hope anyone with any sort of logic, any sort of heart, um, you know, knows where to line up uh, on this issue. But specifically, there's some debate about like, well, you know, uh, he's, you know, they, they paid him this big contract. You know, they're, go- of course, they have to let, you know, first of all, they have to let him pay and they're going to want him to, you know, Jerry doesn't pay people to, to stay home. But, you know, something didn't strike me until now. And I know all contracts can hey, be Dallas structured Piper. differently. And, but, but, you know, even though contracts can be struck differently, guys don't get paid for spring training. Technically, I, he may not even no. begin this whole, this whole argument mm-hmm. of like, oh my God, well, they're just wasting money if he's not playing. No, tell him to sit in the corner. Tell him, you know, again, MLBPA is, is, you know, their job is to defend all players, even the scummiest, but they are not going to come out publicly and say they're going to come to some agreement with the white sector. It's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about an injury or, or no, while this is still, That's out, I, 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 I thought a trainer the first day, I, first of all, was sad that he was even in a white Sox uniform. I hope they, I was hoping they were just in their civvies running the bases or something. That's, Cause that's the picture that's going to be in the end yeah. of this total jerk is, is a white Sox uniform instead of a, a Cleveland or San Diego uniform. <laughs> but, uh, where to, oh yeah, my, my feeling was first time he goes out and throws, a trainer comes running out in the field and says, did you hear that crack? I heard that crack. <laughs> on, we're, we're gonna, we're, we gotta go get an MRI here. Mm-hmm. And they have somebody else's MRI ready to show them. <laughs> say, Look at that. Oh no, 60 day IL right now, 60 day. And, and then I, when Mike complains out. about it, we would say, do you get why we lied to you, buddy? Exactly. It's like the White Sox can only play. They're like playing this like clean. I mean, first of all, they're not clean, but they're playing this like clean game. No other teams, even the bad team, Kansas City Royals are, are playing in more gray area. It seems like with the White Sox than the White Sox are. And it's like, wait, you know, there's flex with this. I know Reinsdorf's power is, has at least diminished. I, he's certainly not the most powerful owner in baseball any longer, but it hasn't disappeared. He's not 30th on the power rankings either. The idea that the White Sox can't like get away with gray area stuff that teams routinely do. Not that I want my team to like cheat and play dirty, but the idea that you can't bend the rules in order to even cover your own mistake. Like you just said, you get why we lied to you. What's a guy going to say? I mean, and first of all, and, and we have this investigation that presumably is going to wind up. Maybe it's not going to conveniently wind up by opening day, but it is going to wind up to the point where it's like, okay, well, now this dovetails with either you're exonerated, right, or you're gone. And we but, actually, and then we don't it, have to pay you. There, there's that middle ground, which apparently uh, what, what they call the administrative leave, uh, which apparently MLB doesn't like to do unless there's new information. Well, the interesting, interesting thing here in that interview with uh, Olivia Feinstead on the, on the score was when she went public, she said, 
she was contacted by a number of other women when she when she went on Instagram showing her bruises and whatnot. She was contacted by a number of other women, uh, including one who had apparently gone with Clevenger when she was in college and has said she's been in therapy for eight years recovering from it. So, and she is meeting today, as I said, with, with MLB. If she gives some names there, even if they don't have time to talk to them, that's new information. And if they have new information, they can do administrative leave by their own rules and by the union contract. So they could do that, get him the hell off the field while they determine what they're going to do. And in the end, I've been thinking for a while, what's the over and under on how many games he's got to get? (laughs) They they bet on everything now. Let's bet on the over and under. I'm I'm at 60. (laughs) I can go with 81 as the over under. I don't think I definitely think what you're saying spot on. I mean, with with her saying that a, a bunch of other women have come forward, you know, these things just aren't made up. You know, this this dude is bad news. We now have many people who seem to have been affected by this guy in a horrible way. We can't reward this kind of crap. We just absolutely can't. This guy should be out of Major League Baseball. You know, I know the commissioner's office also listens to every episode and you guys need to listen to us right now. Figure it out. Fake it until you make it until you can get rid of this guy, because we do not want him. White Sox fans do not want him. No matter what happens at this point with this investigation, mm-hmm. I am in a mindset of sorry, this dude is trash. He treats people like garbage. We do not want him on our baseball team. We don't need this guy. If if you have knowledge on this, in in two of the recent cases, the most famous one, Trevor Bauer, who is, of course, Mike Clevenger's best buddy, and in the much lesser case of Starlin uh, Castro, the teams did not let them go until the suspension was over. Do you know if that's part of the agreement or part of the rules, or is that just a decision made by the Dodgers on the Nationals. Because it's possible if they're suspended, you're not allowed to do anything with them, and which would be include getting rid of them. And you can't fire them, in, in essence, until the suspension's over. I don't know if that's the case or not. That's what we keep seeing, and, and I do think there's there's validity to that. But you know, you're and we're, we're talking about this this gray area, this middle ground. You've both acknowledged where it's like the new information, and not even to trivialize that because clearly there is new information both today and even since like the 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 newer Instagram you know posting. There's been continually legitimate new, but I mean the new information could be an, an additional drug that he was said to have used. I mean they if they want to, I mean my MLB has every right to punish the White Sox. If they, if they choose to in this sort of like, I don't know, trivial is not the right word, but emotional way for signing this scumbag in the first place. And again, jumping the market to get him. And if they sort of want the White Sox to, to dangle a little bit, I mean, I'm not really sure it's supposed to work that way, but if it was, Hey, listen, the White Sox, they did make this bed, but the idea, you know, that Bro Manfred be- has no reason to like Jerry Reinsdorf. He has mm-hmm. a lot of reasons to dislike Jerry Reinsdorf, who mm-hmm. tried to keep him from being yep. commissioner and was what Selig's best friend. And who likes to throw his weight around and mm-hmm. probably has been trying to do it all along, mm-hmm. including uh, in negotiations in 21. 
But I mean, bigger picture, MLB says, okay, do we want this guy active in our game in the same way they would not have wanted Trevor Bauer? Of course, there's the, you know, the, the, the legal trappings of, of what the, the two sides do agree to. And they've just now, you know, agreed to for, for six years of harmony or whatever. You know, of course, you don't want to cross, uh, you know, cross those lines. But the idea that again, you can't massage that even for stuff far more trivial than what is really coming out uh, uh, undoubtedly today and even has come out since the initial uh, report, well, since since Olivia first spoke up, then what was public and then what's more recently public, I mean, it's ludicrous that there isn't new information that would justify just telling Clevenger, if not even feigning the MRI or whatever, just sit for a week, sit until everybody else reports, sit until yeah. games begin, sit until March. There, you can make up stuff just to keep, you know, uh, uh, moving the goalposts. I say the administrative leave is is a valid thing for them to do it's in the rules it's in the it's in the contract so uh but white Sox, this is the one thing where rick on is right the white Sox cannot take unilateral action until mlb allows them to do so they don't have to tell them to do so they just have to allow them to do so uh so i don't i we probably should get off this and get on to more happy things like baseball that kind of run this but but this is as I've said a hundred times and everybody's copied the phrase, the elephant in the room. And it's, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see if anybody buys tickets. I, I get my emails daily on what ticket package is available to me now. We are going to a game because Will's going to be in Chicago, but we bought tickets third party, did not pay any money for them. We are taking the red line. We are eating before <laughs> the game. There will not be a nickel that goes into Jerry's pocket. Not at all. And on that note, uh, we will take our break. This is uh, for our listeners. You notice uh, an elongated episode for us. We're usually quite to the point with our brilliant observations. Uh, but today we decided we're going to we're going to draw them out and put you through some extra pain today. Um, but hang with us and we will be right back on Sharing Socks. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Sharing Socks. We reminisced about how awesome we are, and then we discussed how awesome Mike Clevenger is not. Uh, but let's talk about, uh, you know, we've got a we got a baseball season coming up. Um, with the Clevenger issues aside, hopefully they will be resolved in a way that means we don't get Mike Clevenger on our field ever. Uh, but let's talk about the guys who we do want to have on our field in, in 2023. <laughs> I, I want to bring up Gordon Beckham here. Oh, great. Yes, That's it, always a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Brett. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Not, because every year, as we all remember, Gordon Beckham would report to spring training and he would be <laughs> in the best shape of his life every year. And by God, the White Sox are doing it. I mean, every player does it. Every, this happens with every player and every team. Um, Yohan Makata's in the best shape of his life and, and, and Lucas Giolito's in the best shape. And um, I mean, just go. Everybody so far has been in the best shape of his life. So that's opening a spring training in the good way because everybody's ready to go. 
I mean, I will say I have seen a lot of videos of the guys putting in the work this offseason. I've seen a lot of Luis Robert looking fly, hitting some hitting some dingers. I've seen Moncada. I saw a video of them being like, look how good Moncada looks in the cage as he just routinely hits 70 <laughs> mile an hour pitches. Uh, I don't know how that was supposed to impress me. I'm more concerned with when a big league pitcher throws the ball to you on Moncada. Um you know, let's go with uh, a different kind of elephant in the room. We still don't have a second baseman. We still don't have a right fielder. Uh, this is probably becoming a, a theme on the uh, Sharing Socks podcast of us addressing the lack of second baseman and the lack of right fielder. And now it looks like it's going to be Oscar Colas. Is is that what we think on opening day? We're going to have not e- not even any contract manipulation, uh, probably. They're, they're that desperate. <laughs> uh, he's had 30 at-bats in AAA, so why not? Oh, excuse me, 31. I don't want to underplay it. Uh, and then Unless- in the second base, we have Romeo Gonzalez, who has already proved that he's not a major leaguer. So mm-hmm. we can uh, go a couple of ways there. Oscar may have to wait if... Uh, these the new rules for base stealers uh, warrant Billy Hamilton stealing about 40 bags in Cactus League. He may get that right field job as I mean, I, you know, I I'm joking, but I do not see how Billy Hamilton can't steal getting any regular time, like a hundred bases this year, but yeah, he's still not a regular, you know, right fielder. You bring up an an interesting thing with, with Billy, because if there was anything that the Sox did right, during the offseason. And they did, I mean, that's why they got an F and that's why they score low and that's why they're predicted to have a You're scraping, Lee. You're scraping, but I want to hear what this is. But if there's anything they did right, it was getting somehow minor league contracts early on with Billy Hamilton and Jake Marisny because Hamilton's incredibly fast. Jake's really fast too. And they're both defensive people, excellent defensive outfielders who can play center field. Um, Prediction from uh, the, the the company shill Scott Merkin is that Victor Reyes will be uh, outfielder number four. I can't imagine why you wouldn't have somebody who can play center as outfielder number four because otherwise that puts Leury in center while he's also playing second. So he's going to be really tired. Uh, I definitely am. am uh, I'm with you, uh, Brett, on this one of of the hopes that these new rules with with base stealing gives Billy Hamilton a, a slight edge at at making the club and, and being out there because he is so fast that with these new rules, singles are doubles for him and and walks are doubles for him. Like it is, he is a guy who is going to be at an extreme advantage here in a really exciting way. I know there's a lot of griping about these rules. I also tend to gripe about changes in the game. It seems like we're constantly getting changes in the game, but you know, when it, uh, when it can lead to something like stolen bases, which for me are some, it's one of the more exciting aspects of the game is, is that moment when the guy takes off and, and the catcher's got to turn that ball around real quick. You know, Billy Hamilton just became a, a very valuable guy to have on base. Now, the issue is whether or not they think Billy Hamilton can get to first base. But there, it's a huge upside now that if you have a guy who can get to first, who's going to get to second, probably 80, 90 percent of the time. Yeah, uh, 90. yeah, I mean, with these new rules, it's it's 90 for Billy. And, yeah. and that is a crucial guy to have on a team 
that got beat out by more aggressive base running teams last year. I mean, you look at teams like Cleveland last year who are always taking the extra base, who are stealing a lot of bases. I mean, that's who we could be. The White Sox, despite how we have some guys at the absolute bottom of Major League Baseball in terms of speed uh, and Vaughn and Grandall, there is actually quite a bit of speed on this team. We should see a lot more stolen bases from guys like Hamilton if they get to play. Luis Roberts' stolen bases should be going way up. Tim Anderson's stolen bases should be going way up. I would even probably see some more stolen bases from Yohan Moncada this year. Uh, it is it is just going to be a, an exciting new aspect uh, of the game based on these rule changes. Um, Marisnik, a, a good backup to have, I think. There was a time where I think Jake Marisnik was a valuable MLB starter. I don't know if he's quite that anymore, but uh, we, we have options to get to Coloss if our team is smart enough to use those options correctly. My big fear is we sit on Oscar Coloss and Gavin Sheets plays right field in Major League <laughs> Baseball this year, which honestly I would oh, no, no, hold be it, comfortable hold it, hold with it, me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Gavin would only be out there five times a week because they're insisting that Aloy is going to play in right field twice a week. Right, yes, the, the canon of uh, Eloy Jimenez out there in right field. Talk about stretching every single into a double. I mean, it, the, in our, our softball league out here, we have guys where I say, if you hit the ball to right, it's a double no matter what. You're always running. Well, I think if I was hitting the ball to Aloy in Major League Baseball, I would be thinking two right out of the box. Right. That's a whole, it's a whole another, it's a whole other net to have to master. That's going to take half a season alone. <laughs> yeah. Just can't true. Be put in right field. He's not hey. familiar with that net. We know mm-hmm. he likes to get cozy with the net. Mm-hmm. He likes to learn it. He likes to feel it out. And you're right. That's a, that's a big learning curve. That net and, is. And we should, we should point out here because we're making a lot of fun of it. We both, and I'm sure you too, Brett, love Eloy Jimenez. Oh, love man. him as a ball player yeah. and as a, as a person. But. We would prefer he never be seen at the outfield again. <laughs> yeah, I, I do expect Eloy to have an absolute monster year at the plate. I, I think Pedro Grafal is the right guy for someone like Eloy Jimenez to to get his heart back in the game, to get him smiling and laughing and get him back to the Eloy that, that we brought over to this team who who clearly loves baseball. It was so disheartening to see him sort of lose that passion. I do think he is going to have an absolutely monster year batting. I just hope that he doesn't get hurt <laughs> falling into the net in right field so we can take advantage of that bat. 18th anniversary grinder ball, guys. <laughs> <laughs> grinder ball. Yeah, absolutely. Second mm-hmm. base, we've got, <laughs> we've got Ronnie yeah. Gonzalez. Uh, who is, who is a person. Uh, so he's got that going for him. He is a guy who can stand out there and take up that space. Uh, backing him up, we have the White Sox, the absolute fan favorite, Lurie Garcia, uh, who somehow is just still around all the time. I mean, I love that the, we do have a guy we can say is our, our longest tenured White Sox. Uh, but I'm not sure this is the guy necessarily that you want to have that claim. Between Laori being the longest uh, White Sox player and Andrew Benatendi being the highest paid ever, I think we have some very strange uh, records that we need to have broken 
Uh, and I'm not anti Ben Attendee. I think he's an okay signing. I think he'll be solid in left field. Uh, but second base is a huge problem, especially now with that shift going away. The keystone becomes a position that matters again. It used to be, you know, over the last few years, it's been the guy who stands all the way out in right field when a left-handed batter's up and they hit the ball right to him. Well, second basemen need range again, and you need a decent glove at second base. You cannot hide a guy there anymore like you kind of have been able to the last Mm -hmm. couple years. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the White Sox and our very uninteresting pool of possible second base candidates. Well, yeah, that, 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 of course, the one person who's still out there unsigned, but the White Sox will not sign him is Elvis Andrews, which would make a huge difference in that situation, but they're not, they're not going to do anything with him. Let's, let's look, let's look forward. Yeah. Uh, we know the ratings, uh, F, the White Sox had an F from the athletic for their off season. Just a D minus though from ESPN. Uh, generally considered the worst. The athletic came out with a, a survey today of 29 former executives, coaches, and scouts. And it was all bad White Sox stuff. Who, who, who are the least improved teams in baseball? Uh, they weren't the least improved. Tigers and A's beat them, but of course they were both trying to get bad. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> came in in third place with least improved. Okay, so we, we, you've got a team that has lost its best hitter by far, has lost its best defender by uh, D-War in Josh Harrison, has lost its second-best starting pitcher in Johnny Cueto, probably with no replacement for him, no replacement for the, the best defender either, maybe replacement at first base, but not as good, uh, and also their best reliever. Because that was nobody's fault. That's just very sad. But they've lost all of that. And, and in return, they've got new manager, I think probably the most important thing. They got Andrew Benatendi, which Will and I both agree is, is a good good thing. We've got some defense on left field, if nothing else. And he, he's a good player. Uh, and really, that's about it. And they're playing in a... Now, and of course, we're hoping. The hopes are... All those injured players, they're not going to get hurt this year. They're, they're hurt every year, but not this year. Robert, <laughs> right. Robert and, and Anderson and, and Jimenez, they're not going to get hurt this year like they've been hurt every year for God knows how long. Uh, and then, uh, and, oh, yes, my ground up. And we were, and we're going to count on bounce backs, bounce backs from Mokata. I think there'll be some there. Bounce backs from Giolito. I expect that. I think that's going to be the biggest one. Bounce back. From uh, Grandal, I don't believe for one second is going to. Occur. No way, no way. The league has figured out they don't have to be scared if he has money. Grandal and walk him anymore, and uh, he's he's just done. Uh, but and a harder schedule because you only get to pick on Detroit thirteen times instead of nineteen this year. The predictions coming out from Zips and Pakoda are ugly. Ugly losing record. I think one has a 74 wins and the other 76 and, and 10 or 11 games behind both, uh, the Guardians and, and the Twins. Predictions. And we'll, we'll, we'll do another set when we get up to the, to the season. What's your prediction, Brett? What, what's your, what well, are we going to do? Staff wise, I've all, I, I think two years in a row we've done this. This would be a third year staff wise. Uh, and I've been low, low picker, 
both years. That was embarrassing. The, I tied the, with you one time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was embarrassing the year that I did not pick them for the playoffs and everyone else did. Um, but it was less embarrassing when uh, people were maybe upwards of tw- uh, 15, 16, 18 wins off uh, last year. But yeah, it's hot. You know, just taking it from the context where you just sort of set all this up, Lee, uh, it's hard to see them coming back at 81 wins. They're not going to be a 500 team between the schedule, the fact that you're counting on a lot. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible for them to win the division? Is it possible for them to get into the upper 80s and take this division? Yes. That's an outlier that's what, 10% maybe? This is a team that's going to struggle, it seems like, to get to 500. Um, and, and if things have gone the way they've gone, it is going to be a lot closer to the uh, Zips, I think was, was the lower one, uh, like 74. It's going to be a lot closer like to that 74, or I mean, maybe not even that. The idea that this is much more than a, in a seventies win team is just, you're silly if you think that. I mean, Lucas yeah, you Chilito, know, Las Vegas is saying 83. Yeah. Well, uh, that's kind of there. Like, but yeah, but well, if, yeah, if we <laughs> they can't before. spell Eloy. They, they called, uh, Eloy Jimenez Elroy Jimenez also. So they're not, you know, I'm <laughs> but, not giving them, they, uh, they also are not saying, what they believe it will be. They are right. saying what they believe the People middle are... of the betting will be. Right. And since we're by far the largest market in this division, uh, they adjust for that. And they probably, there's some optimists it. out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we, we had our, our betting specialist on here uh, at one point and he said, you know, baseball's the, the game that bets most more than any other sport at about 50, 50. And I think giving the, the White Sox an 83 game, season in vegas is just a perfect example of we don't know what they're going to do we're pretty sure it's not going to be great (laughs) yeah and and i think that's a a comfortable place to be i i agree brad i think that this could be a a 91 team if everything goes exactly how we are saying it has (laughs) to go i think if one guy doesn't have that bounce back that we've mentioned it doesn't go that way i was arguing with rob coletti another south side soxer who is very opinionated uh, and thought I was a yes, fool. We are. Uh, thought I was a fool for not thinking the White Sox would win 90 games this year. Uh, I I don't I don't know if that's the correct way to view my uh, stance on this, but I'm certainly you know he said like I, I'd take them for 90, and I was like I'll take the under on that. You name the price, buddy. Uh, I am very I'm not a betting man as I've said on here, but I'm very comfortable taking the under on 90 wins. If Vegas gave us that right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm in. Um, but yeah, so many things have to change and, and go right. You know, when you're, when you're saying things like, oh, we expect these bounce backs, there's no reason to expect these bounce no. backs. Like there's no reason to think Moncada is going to come out and be in the best shape he's ever been. in, even if they tell us there's no reason to think Giolito is going to have fixed what was going on last year, especially if he's still lifting as heavily as he was, which we saw last year really messed up his, his form uh, and, and hurt the changeup more than anything else, which is his, his pitch. If he has a pitch. Uh, and uh, that also depends on Lance Lynn. Lance, having... There's no way I, I'll t- I'll take the under on, on Lance Lynn's number of starts. I think one, one place that I saw one of the predictions, maybe it was Zips was predicting he'd have like 28, 29 starts. No, that is not going to happen. Unless he, he lost he 75 could. pounds, he's yeah. he's going to make 20 starts. 
And then, as as we mentioned before, I'm very concerned about these guys playing in the World Baseball Classic and not getting hurt. You know, this this is a team that that struggled to keep guys on the field, and a lot of those guys are going out there to play highly competitive baseball sooner than they will be ready. Lance Lynn being one of them. I I I love the World Baseball Classic. I love when guys want to play for their their home countries. I think they should. They they deserve to get that that opportunity. But Lance Lynn being on that White Sox or being on that USA pitching roster makes me very nervous for his health later in the season. Let me calm you a little bit on that, Will, because the 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 Team USA, not to say they're not playing with pride, but they seem to be approaching this a little bit. But just you look at the roster, seem to be approaching a little bit more like an like an NBA All Star game. Now all the other countries, they're gonna they'll die for it. the the the, yeah. the Cuban players in there. Oh my God. You know, Louis, Louis Robert might not make the start of the season based on how much they wanted. The one saving grace, because you're right, everybody says, well, they're going to, they're playing spring training anyway. No, this is different than spring training. Hopefully for most of those other teams, not that, not the team USA is going to like half ass it, but I just, I'm not really sure that I'm guessing Lance Lynn says, you know, I want to actually pitch in the major leagues this year and I don't really have, you know, as much as I want to wave the flag. Uh, I don't have to wave the flag and, and get the gold here. So I'm, I'm thinking the, the U.S., the team, the players on like Tim Anderson, I feel a little bit more comfortable with the other guys. Yon Mankata, he, we, he, he may not even make it to the South Side of Chicago this year based on how badly, you know, these guys wanted him and, and play for country pride. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully Lance Lynn is, is not one of those, those great, great concerns. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, these guys won't pitch as much in the World Baseball Classic, but, if we lose Kendall Graveman <laughs> and we have already lost Liam Hendricks for what for sure seems like this season. And hopefully he'll bounce back if anyone can, it's Liam. Uh, but if we lose Kendall Graveman, that bullpen is looking really unattractive too. So uh, again, I'm not as concerned with someone like Graveman who's probably just going to pitch an inning here or there might end up actually being a good tune up for someone like Graveman. Uh, Lance Lynn is, is my big question mark because a lot of these projections for the White Sox that are positive, that are on the higher end, they're really banking on Lance Lynn coming out and, and eating up innings, which is what we got him for. And he hasn't really done. Uh, and as I gripe about more than anything on this podcast, we don't have any starters who have proved to us that they're going to throw six innings. I mean, when, when Dylan Cease did seven last year, it was like we won the World Series. Everyone was like, hey, do you believe that? Dylan mm-hmm. Cease threw seven innings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, well, that was kind the, of what we expected from people. And, <laughs> like, and, it's, and it's great. A, a, a large part of that, well, obviously starters throw fewer innings for every team. It's just what the trend is. But a large part of that is we have the most inefficient starting staff in baseball. They throw more pitches per inning than any other team the starters do. That's what gets them. Now, if Griffal comes in and, and uh, with Ethan Katz and they go, why don't we just throw strikes instead of taking every damn batter to three and two? Let's see how that works this year. That would be very nice. And it will be interesting to see how the pitch clock does change these things in baseball because – I've talked about this on the podcast before, but this style of baseball we've seen over the last few years where a pitcher throws the ball with everything they've got and then takes a spa day and then (laughs) gets ready to throw again, which is just not what we watched when I was, I mean, I I hate to 
sound like the geezer on the geezer's own podcast. But, you know, when I was watching baseball growing up uh, back in the day, it didn't function that way. And you had just as great of pitchers as we have now who who didn't take that time. It's going to be interesting to see if these guys actually end up going deeper into games because they can't blow out the arm on every pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy who's going to be really interesting to see who's not on the White Sox but is a, a White Sox guy in our hearts, Carlos Rodon. This is going to be something that really affects Carlos Rodon who really takes his time between pitches to gather up that strength because he's he's got a nasty fastball, nasty slider. Um, he's going to have to pitch a lot quicker, which means he's going to have to change his form. And we're going to see that from a lot of these White Sox guys as well, who have to turn the ball around a lot quicker. And I'm going to be interested to see if that means they're going to be willing to throw the ball in the zone a little bit more uh, or if they will go deeper into games uh, because they're not blowing it all out in in the first few innings. I, I actually think it's a really good thing. Uh, timing aside, of course, I love the idea of Major League Baseball games being under three hours. Uh, but I also love the idea that it might get us back to a, a slightly more evenly matched pitcher-batter scenario uh, when we, these we, guys... We may have velocities go down. We velocities? probably will have velocities go down. Velocity should go down uh, this season based on that pitch clock. We we should not see guys who are, are able to throw 98-99 on every fastball attempt throughout their four starter innings. Uh, I, I'm really interested. I'm interested to see which guys find a new route uh, to success. I, I think you're going to see a lot of guys who are studying people like Greg Maddox, like Mark Burley, these guys who – uh, were elite ball placers who worked very quickly. Uh, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. I mean, I, I would be looking at that that Braves group of starters from the 90s and, and see what they were doing. Those guys worked so fast, but were still so effective. And I, I hope our guys can can pick up on that. But but realistically speaking to what Lee said and and again this this goes back to my note about the the analysis you guys sneak in in between um, good jokes and, and setups and, and straight man routines but uh, pitch count has been a huge thing you know in Lee's mind and he's brought it up many times and for what Will is outlining with some hope to come into play would would entail uh, a coaching philosophy switch and and players being able to adapt from being these more these more lunky um full effort guys to now suddenly on the fly in a season uh becoming really different pitchers it's not to say it can't happen or it can't begin to happen but the idea that that they're all you know i mean of course they're not gonna become maddoxes but even to adopt that i'm i'm guessing the game is going to tell them they have to do that rather than them being out ahead of it. As great as we all, you know, think Ethan Katz is, you know, et cetera, he's presided over some, some great successes and also some, you know, some, some, some middling performance as well. So um, the jury may even still be out there, but the idea that, that he's going to be able to convince guys to change the way they're doing it. And the White Sox somehow philosophically as a team are going to be out ahead of this. Um, I'm dubious. I mean, again, I, I, I don't totally want to rain agree. on your, your sunshine. No, I, I, but... I do totally agree. It is going to be something that they must learn as they go. They're not going to come out. As I was reading a, the ESPN article about the new rules, it said games are going to be won and lost on these pitch count penalties. And I think that is what is going to get guys to speed up. Is they, They're going to go out there. 
they're going to think, oh, I'm still going to do my thing. And then they're going to learn, no, we're going to call this every time. Mm-hmm. And if that starts to happen, these guys are going to have to adjust midseason. Uh, my other hope, my ray of sunshine about this, is that we see a lot of pitchers uh, not have to go the Tommy John route. Um, if they are not being able to put that much pressure on their arm on every pitch because they don't have that recovery time, I'm hoping we see guys looking for form that can keep them healthier uh, so that they can move. Uh, cardio, which is not something you often think of in baseball, becomes so <laughs> crucial for pitchers with this new pitch clock. It's why in high school, the pitchers are just constantly running. They're constantly making you run because pitching is legs. Legs are the biggest muscle in the body. They require the most oxygen. That is what's going to give out first with this new pitching method of we got to go, we got to move, we got to pitch, we got to pitch. So I I hope that with uh, a new coaching staff and a new mentality that the White Sox are very cardio first this year. They clearly have not been in the past. You know, I I wonder, and and I hadn't thought of this at all until just now, I wonder if younger pitchers will have an advantage this year because – and I mean guys just coming out of the minors because the minors have had this. Yeah. Right. They've had the pitch clock. So these guys are used to guys have been around the majors for a while. They've never had, well, it's been there, but it really wasn't there. Uh, and, uh, some guys who, who've been pitching on these 22nd rules as they come up through the minor leagues, it shouldn't be a big difference to them at all. Welcome to the rotation, Sean Burke and Davis Martin. We will yeah. need you, so it's good to have yeah. you because we will need you. Yeah, that's that's an actual welcome because we will see you and we will need you to do well. But that's a really good point about the, the minor leaguers having practice with this a lot more than the major leaguers. And it's way easier to shape a minor leaguer to prepare for this than it is to shape a major leaguer yeah. who has had a great routine and thinks I'm going to go out there and do this again. On that note, we should start to wrap up the longest episode in the history of sharing socks. Uh, This has been awesome. Do you guys have any final uh, takes before we must depart? Uh, Well, baseball's back. That's that. Forget the elephant for the moment. Well, you can't forget an elephant, but (laughs) nonetheless, push, push the hay bale over. So the elephant can have it over there in the corner. And for the rest of it, let's, have some baseball. Congratulations, guys, on uh, podcast 100, 101, and 102. This has been wonderful. Uh, look, you got them all out of the way. You're getting closer <laughs> to 200 now. So, uh, yeah, yeah you congratulations. Can just, you can just add it to be continued uh, <laughs> a few times in this one. Um, I'm just going to piggyback on what the geezer said. You know, there's we as White Sox fans, we gripe about a lot. Some things are very deserving of our griping some things maybe not quite so much but we love to gripe so that's what we do uh but the good thing is baseball is back you guys baseball is back i am so pumped i got so antsy during football season i i can entertain myself a little bit with football i can entertain myself a little bit with the nba with college basketball but nothing compares to getting out to to the ballpark and and smelling those hot dogs and seeing that nice green grass until it gets ruined by uh, by Chicago weather, uh, so game two or three. Um, but yeah, baseball's back. Let's give the team the the love that we can until they make more wrong decisions that makes it so we can't love them anymore. 
Um, but for the time being, let's let's hope that the White Sox and Major League Baseball take care of what needs to be taken care of and do the right thing here as people, and we will do the right thing uh, and support the good guys in in black and in uh, in white as they head out onto the field. So uh, let's do it, you guys. Spring training, let's go. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time on Sharing Socks. How long did we go? 